What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode eight of Big League Chewing, a baseball podcast. My name is Mike Brown. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. So it's been a while since the last time we caught up, and man, oh man, the hot stove has been piping hot. Before we get into that, later on in the show, I will be joined by Jonathan Fink. Jonathan is the author of The Baseball Gods Are Real, a two-part series, uh, soon-to-be three-part series of books about Jonathan's uh, road to spirituality from atheism and how uh, baseball kind of factors into all that. He has very kind of esoteric and kind of spiritual takes on some of the biggest events in baseball history, and it's definitely an interesting listen and worth checking out, so stick around for that. But first things first, the 2019 offseason has been a million times better than the 2018 offseason in terms of free agent signings, in terms of money uh, that's been spent uh, and, and, and length of deals uh, that have been given to uh, some of the market's uh, top players. Uh, Garrett Cole signed a deal with the Yankees for nine years and $324 million. Uh, I think that automatically kind of slots the Yankees uh, as kind of the team to beat in the AL uh, and maybe in all of baseball. You know, Cole was a guy that uh, I believe they had drafted and he eventually had eventually decided to uh, go to UCLA. Um, They also tried to trade for him uh, when he was a pirate and weren't able to get him. So this is a guy that they had been after for quite a while. I believe Brian Cashman referred to Cole as his white whale. So uh, the Yankees do get their white whale. They do get Cole nine years at $324 million. Uh, It's a pretty hefty price to pay uh, for a pitcher. Um, You know, these are kind of the numbers of when you're talking those numbers, you're talking kind of Machado, Harper, um, those sort of numbers. It was obviously a record deal for a pitcher. And, uh, you know, He's obviously going to make that team. Uh, that he's going to he's going to slot really nicely on the top of that team's rotation. Uh, you know, followed by Severino and the likes of uh, Paxton, and so on and so forth. The Phillies made a string of moves. Uh, they signed Didi Gregorius, uh, uh, Gregorius to a one-year deal, and they also signed Zach Wheeler, I believe, to a five-year deal, somewhere around one hundred and. 18 million, something like that. Uh, so the Phillies, again, uh, in back-to-back off-seasons, have made huge financial uh, commitments to some star-level talent. Um, they're obviously banking on a one-year deal with Gregorius and that he'll kind of come back uh, to be the player he was in 2018. Last year, he was really hurt with the Yankees. So uh, Phillies kind of banking on that. And then with Wheeler, they're kind of you know banking on a lot of the upside that he has. Um, a lot of people see him as kind of a mid-rotation guy with, uh, you know, top of the rotation upside. So we will see how that uh, shakes out. Obviously, he fits nicely uh, below Aaron Nola in that rotation, somewhere between Aaron Nola and uh, Jake Arrieta, whatever he has left in the tank. So definitely a, a, a huge upgrade uh, for them. They can now also slot Gene Segura over to second base, I believe. Um, so the NL East, man, is, is, is going to be wild uh, for the next few years here as the Phillies, you know, the Braves, um, you know, the Mets and the Nationals, um, you know, continue to kind of duke it out here. Uh, to me, that's kind of probably the toughest division in baseball. And then uh, with the sneaky signing, the Angels signed Anthony Rendon uh, to a seven year, I believe, $245 million deal. Uh, 
this kind of came out of nowhere and kind of a lot of people saw this as kind of a nice pivot um, once the Angels knew that they were out on Garrett Cole. He obviously provides, you know, elite kind of superstar offense. Uh, he's a great defender as well, kind of underrated, I think, in his in his defense. Um, and, you know, he's a top 10 player in the game. Uh, you know, he there was some controversy over him not choosing the Dodgers. Uh, he made a comment about not wanting to kind of partake in the Hollywood lifestyle, whatever that means, whether he thinks that the Hollywood lifestyle is kind of a liberal lifestyle in terms of politics or, you know, I also think he's kind of a religious guy. So he, I don't know how he kind of sees Hollywood and maybe, I don't know how religious he is, but he could, you know, he obviously kind of takes exception to the perceived Hollywood lifestyle uh, for better or for worse. Ultimately, he made a decision for his family, uh, decided to play uh, in Orange County. Um, Obviously the Rangers, uh, we're kind of nowhere close in their proposed deal for Rendon. The Angels sw- uh, swept in with the money, and they got a nice third baseman for the next seven years. Speaking of the Rangers, uh, they snuck in a deal. I mean, this is a this is some deal here. Uh, the Rangers uh, traded for Corey Kluber with the Indians. They gave up Delino DeShields Jr. and uh, Emmanuel Classe, who is a um, I guess a highly touted uh, reliever. Um, but you know, uh, it's hard to say if, uh, how this deal will shake out. Obviously, if the Rangers are able to get, you know, a semblance of what Kluber was, um, before last season, last season, his, he had an injury shortened season, uh, injury shortened season. If they're able to get kind of the Corey Kluber of, you know, 2017, 2016, 2017, 2018, any sort of form of that Corey Kluber, this deal will obviously payoff in in spades um you know Delino the shields is a great kind of speedy defender but not much of an offensive player at all um and then you know relievers are kind of a gamble you know obviously this uh, emmanuel classe has apparently great stuff throws 100 miles an hour um but we'll, we we will see the, from the outset this looks like a steal uh for the rangers for sure and then probably kind of most uh, interestingly, uh, lately, um, today is December 19th, uh, the Francisco Lindor rumors are, are heating up um, to the point where the Indian front office is asking teams to kind of present their final uh, trade offer for Lindor um, that they're going to kind of review over the weekend. So this is very interesting. Um, you have the, sorry, the Padres, the Dodgers, and I believe a third team uh, I think it's the Reds that have kind of emerged uh, as possible trade partners with the Indians on Lindor. Uh, obviously, when you get Lindor, you get a superstar, um, you know, probably a top. If he's not the top shortstop in baseball, he's, you know, top one or two. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty much it uh, when he's healthy and, and, and out there. He's still super young. I believe he has two years left on his contract. So you're getting something. So, you know, with the two years left on his contract, obviously the Indians are going to want a little a little something, you know. Uh, definitely, hopefully more than what they got for, for Kluber, um, just gauging the value of Lindor to Kluber. Um, the Indians are going to ask for a lot. You know, if it's with the Dodgers, they're going to ask for Gavin Lux and Dustin May or some form of that. Um, you know, the Padres obviously have the pieces to deal uh, whether it's Taylor Trammell or probably not McGin- uh, Mackenzie Gore, but probably another pitcher. They got a deep, um, a deep crop of, 
of young pitching talent there in the farm system, the Padres do, that they could deal from uh, to get Lindor. The Reds uh, have seemed to trade have, have, seem, have seemed to trade a lot of their talent. Obviously, they have some big league ready talent that could be um, of interest to the Indians. Uh, a player like Nick Senzel, who has already uh, played in the major leagues, I believe uh, he came up last last year. Uh, it's kind of a versatile player. Not sure really where he fits. Whether it's an he's a center fielder or a, you know middle infielder. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if the Indians bite on what uh, these teams' kind of final proposals will be uh, this weekend. Also, the rumors for uh, around Nolan Arenado have picked up uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, now that the kind of the third base market is kind of shaking out after Rendon signed, Donaldson's still out there. Um, you know, Arenado is, is an interesting trade candidate. I'm not too sure I see him moving this off season. Um, it's not really a piece I, I, I could foresee moving. Uh, I believe it would kind of take a lot, uh, to really persuade, uh, the Rockies to, to move Arenado. Uh, and lastly, as I kind of wrap up this, uh, hot stove kind of news and notes, um, the Cubs have been incredibly silent, uh, with their moves, uh, this offseason so far, you know, it was a team that projected to move one or more of their kind of uh, crop of, of superstar young players um, in an effort to kind of shake things up, um, catch their breath, so to speak, and kind of re-inject uh, some life back into that team that has really over the last two seasons towards the end of the regular season kind of fallen by the wayside. Obviously, they have a new coach and in, in, uh in David Ross. Um, but the rumors were that, you know, if they were going to trade anybody, it would be Chris Bryant. Um, I know there was some litigation going on in terms of service years, in terms of if he's going to be a free agent after one more year or two more years. Uh, so I think that's still ongoing. But uh, yeah, the Cubs need to kind of start moving here. Um, you know, they definitely can't go into 2020 uh, kind of with the team that for all you know intents and purposes that they had last year um i think they definitely need to shake things up um i think they do get a deal done probably early in the new year uh, and sometime in january or february whether it's moving chris bryant where it's whether it's moving wilson Contreras, i definitely see Baez staying schwarber i think the chance to move him was probably a couple years ago i feel like the real value for him is maxed out um and he's kind of you know uh, come back down to earth in a big way. He's not uh, He's not the guy that you could have got some top-level stuff for a couple of years ago. So yeah, so the hot stove in 2019, definitely a lot more interesting, definitely a lot more fast-paced. I love it. I think it's great for the game. Um, and there's still you know a lot of moves to, to be made here. So now I'd like to play for you my interview with Jonathan Fink. Jonathan is a lifelong baseball fan. He is a self-pronounced vegan and uh, spiritualist and he's written a series of books uh the baseball gods are real is a new uh, series of books that he's written he's also written uh the music gods are real and i believe the investment gods are real uh, he's based in kansas city and we had a great chat about all things uh baseball in in how it relates to spirituality uh esotericism uh various events in baseball history where uh, he believes kind of the baseball gods are kind of winking at us 
Uh, we talk about synchronicity in baseball and all that kind of good uh, out of the box stuff that is is basically what I'm trying to bring more and more to this podcast. Uh, guests like Jonathan that bring a kind of a fresh, uh, unique perspective to the game that I want to share with you guys. So I hope you enjoy. Okay, so I am now joined by Jonathan Fink. Jonathan is the author of The Baseball Gods Are Real, a volume of baseball books. He's also the author of The Music Gods Are Real and The Investment Gods Are Real. Jonathan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. No problem. No problem. So let's get started with um, with the, your, your, your books, The Baseball Gods Are Real. I believe there's three volumes out now, correct? Well, the two are out, and then volume three will be out uh, next year. Okay, cool. So your books are very much kind of a metaphor and a literal depiction of your journey from uh, atheism to spirituality, uh, you know, through your experiences in the music industry and kind of as a lifelong baseball fan. So talk to me kind of about that journey. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I when I was a kid, I, I was raised Jewish. I was bar mitzvah, but I considered myself a sarcastic atheist. I never really took <laughs> religion very seriously. And then I, as I got to my college years, I kind of became a very disillusioned with organized religion and kind of became an angry atheist. And it really wasn't until um, I had a midlife crisis and got into yoga and meditation that I, I turned my life around. And then I kind of uh, uh, started seeing uh, a, a real change in my life. And I guess what I would suggest is that when it comes to organized religion and how it plays through my books, um, I, find, I found that it took me 40 years to realize there's a difference between organized religion and spirituality. And the difference sure. is that, you know, religion is based on dogma. You know, we're told what to believe. It's written in these books, what to think, and the, the ceremonies and how you're supposed to do them, where sure. spirituality is based on experience. And so after having enough experiences that were so first coincidental, then synchronistic, and then miraculous, I, I really became a, a believer because I had experienced it all. And when I think about how that ties into my life story through these books, it really comes back to the idea of the law of attraction. The law of attraction is a new age concept that really has been around forever. I think it was the Buddha who once said, what we think we become. And the idea is that if you're passionate about things, then pursue them and you'll find that the doors will open for you. And so my whole life, I've always been passionate about baseball and music. And then when I got into college, I got very, very interested in politics and geopolitics and investing. And just by, you know, pursuing my passions, um, universe started to uh, bring me what I, what I was trying to achieve and what I wanted. And so it all, it all kind of comes together in these different book series. Of course, now I'm writing books about baseball, music right. and investing. Right. So how it pertains to the baseball world then. So when you talk about the baseball gods, uh, specifically, you know, either metaphorically or literally kind of what, what, what do you mean exactly? Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important question. I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Uh, I like to think of the baseball gods as an intelligent energy that permeates all things. Now, to, to make it more tangible for, for, for your listeners, you could think of it as a part of all that is. You can think of it as a, your guardian angels. You can think of it as spirit guides, ascended masters deities of, 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 of different, different ways. And you know, even if you're thinking about Ganesh from, from Hinduism, or even if you want to think of Jesus as your baseball god, I have no problem with that. Uh, right. We all come from the same creator. We're all one. And so it's, it's really all the same thing to me, what we want to label this, this magical, loving, intelligent energy, but it's certainly ever present. But you have to tap into it because if you don't tap into it, you become oblivious to it. But once you tap into it, you start to see it, the magic of this intelligent energy all around you. Sure. So specifically in the first volume of, of your book, um, you talk about being a fan of the, the 1986 Mets, of course, the Mets team that that won the World Series and that very dramatic, uh, very dramatic World Series. So a lot of people saw that team as kind of a team of destiny, you know, what with the uh, the game six heroics and, and so on and so forth. 
So uh, is that kind of the first instance of, um, or when you first realized that, maybe not realized at the time, um, but is that kind of the first instance that you kind of chronicle in terms of um, evidence of the, of the baseball god, so to speak? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the 86 World Series, I was 12 years old, so I was old enough to really appreciate what was happening. I was watching every minute. Of course, I was at game one. I remember looking, looking down from the right field bleachers down at Jim Rice and, and the whole thing. And um, so, yeah, watching Bill Buckner uh, make that terrible error with the, the ball through his legs. And then, of course, seeing Ray Knight, you know, turn third base and head towards home and jump in the arms of his teammates. That left a, a major impression on me. And all around me, we always kind of considered uh, that to be a magical World Series. But, right. to be, but that was my first experience firsthand. But I also grew up on Long Island where a lot of, a lot of Mets fans exist. And I, I, I was very well aware my entire life of the amazing Mets, which is the 1969 Mets. Right. Which were also an underdog team, of course, you know, with, with Tom Seaver and, you know, and so many great players. Right. Um, that was kind of the uh, the meet the Mets team, right? Yeah, for sh- exactly. That's right. right. And, then, and then even before that, you know, my father, he grew up in the Bronx. He was a diehard New York Giants fan who played in the polo grounds. And I remember my entire life hearing the legends of the Bobby Thompson, the shot hurled around the world in 1851. He hit the, uh, the, you know, the game-winning walk-off home run against the Brooklyn Dodgers. And, of course, you know, the Dodgers had always, been, had always been the best team, and the Giants had to have amazing uh, string of wins even to, to force the, you know, the, the one-game playoff. And then, of course, they won it in epic fashion. And so, so yeah, so even though the A.C.S. World Series is my first personal uh, uh, interaction or witnessing of a baseball god moment, I certainly was aware that they existed before 486. Right, right. So going off of that, then, what are some other instances then where you've where you believe kind of the baseball gods have made themselves apparent for you, whether it's uh, kind of in your in your personal life or back to the game in, in some respect? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'll give you a couple examples. In fact, this is really the main topic that flows through my volume three, uh, which is the religion of baseball, where I write about all things esoteric baseball rituals, baseball superstitions, you right. name it. And I really go into a deep dive on the baseball gods and baseball god moments. And so three that come to mind in recent years that I think a lot of, a lot of your listeners will, will, will resonate with would be first with, was D. Gordon. You know, D. Gordon was a second uh, baseman known for his speed. And after his teammate on the Miami Marlins, Jose Fernandez, passed away, uh, everyone in the Marlins, they all wore, you know, Jose's number. They had a moment of silence where every walkout song was no song at all out of pay respect. And then yep. D. Gordon did, did a ceremony. He did the same ritual that Jose did before every pregame. And then, of course, first pitch, he hits it out of the park. And so that was, even, you know, that was way before I was deep into the baseball god lore. But right. I knew then it, that was Magical. very, very special. Yeah. And then, and then it gets even better because um, uh, a few years later, uh, well, not better, but maybe more, more um, miraculous, if you will. But you may recall that you know, Edis- Edison Volquez was with the Royals during our World Series run and our back-to-back pennants. But he then moved on to the Marlins. And after, so after Yodana Ventura passed away, uh, Edison Volquez on Yodana's birthday pitched a no-hitter. Uh, and, and by the way, he actually sprained his ankle in the first inning uh, on a ground ball running to first base. And so he actually right. pitched that entire game right. with, a spr- with, with a badly sprained ankle. And <laughs> it just shows that when the, you know, when the Holy Spirit or the Chi or the Prano, whatever you want to call this magic, when it flows through you, you can get into the zone and amazing things happen. And, and then, of, and of course, my book three was done until the Tyler Staggs uh, uh, baseball guy moment happened. Of course, Tyler right. died tragically this year. But, um, but first, you know, when the, the All-Star game happened and, and Mike Trout wore, wore his number, that was very special. That was just a kind of a preamble for what was to come on Tyler Staggs night um, in Anaheim. Every player, you know, wore the number 45, uh, Tyler's mom threw out the first pitch, threw a perfect strike. 
Yep. Then the, the first pitch of the game, Mike Trout hits a home run, 454 feet. Of course, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, you, you know, I mean, just amazing, amazing stuff. And then, of course, on the, on the flip side, there was a combined no hitter. Yeah, it was. Yep. It was the it was the first no hitter. Um, and the last time it had happened, it was actually on Tyler Skaggs' birthday many, right. many years ago. And of course, the, the next day was Tyler Skaggs' actual real birthday. And so when, when you saw all those players at the end of the game after celebrating the big win, um, the, the no-hitter, they all took off their jerseys and they laid them down on, on, on um, the pitcher's mound one by yep. one to pay their respect. And I mean, my goodness, is, you know, by the way, when Mike Trout hit that home run, he hit it over the head of D. Gordon. D. Gordon right. was playing left field, and at the end of the game, D. Gordon gave an interview and said, "Listen, if you don't believe in God now, then, <laughs> then I don't know what I, I don't know what to tell you." Because right, that was right. that was an absolute multifaceted baseball God moment, and so I think those three are are great examples. Now, on a personal level, I'll just share a, a two quick ones um, sure. that I mentioned in my first book. Uh, the the first has to do with um with a, a, a little boy named Eli Zeldin. Eli was on my son's uh, team a few years ago during our rec ball years. Really, really great kid. Uh, super intelligent, a, a lot of fun, always smile on his face, loved baseball. But like sure. me, he was, a, he was a little guy, and I always root for the little guys. Well, well, one day at practice, Eli's little brother came to practice, and his little brother was a shy, was a fabulous, fabulous baseball player. I mean, really terrific. And so during practice, Eli had second base, and for some reason, all the balls kept going to left field, and his brother kept making these diving catches, you know, one after the next. Right. So finally, I'm standing next to Eli's father, Ryan, and uh, we hear Eli say, oh, I could have made that play. Well, of course, the next ball was a ground ball right to Eli, <laughs> and unfortunately, right through his legs. And right. Eli and Ryan, of course, and I looked at each other. We both said at the same time, "Baseball gods," you know, we, we do it. <laughs> so that, 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 that's, a, that's a cute one. And then there's one more uh, which I'll mention, which is you know when Nate moved on from from rec ball got into competitive ball. I mean, competitive ball is, it really is serious at this level, probably too serious more than more than it should be. But the parents, sure. the coaches, the kids take it all real seriously. And and of course, one of the cardinal baseball god rules is you know you don't talk about a no hitter during a no hitter. And we were in a, in, a, in, a, in a knockout round game, and it was we just finished the second inning. We were up eight to nothing. And because usually I'm always too anxious, and I got all this energy, so I'm always moving around, and, and everyone wants right. to for too long. But it was a very right. hot day, and we were all under this tent with a bunch of parents. And I said to my, I said out loud, "Hey, is is Nathan throwing a no hitter?" And I didn't say he was throwing a no hitter. I just asked if he was throwing <laughs> a no hitter. And then the only parents looked at me because they know I'm the author of the baseball gods. And I, I, right. I realized what I said. I, I looked up to this guy. I said, baseball gods, please forgive me. <laughs> I didn't say. I was just yeah. asking. And then a dad came from behind me and patted me on the back and said, Jill, think it's too late. You blew it. And sure, <laughs> sure, sure enough, the next inning, we gave up 13 runs and we lost 13 to 8. And then, yeah. and, and then when, I, when, when the team huddled around, I, I interrupted the coach. The coach this one's on me. And I explained what happened. And he was like, yeah, yeah, Fink, that one's on you. You can't talk about it. No, no. So, so that was an example where, you know, you break a cardinal rule. The baseball guys are actually going to punish you. And, and I right. should have known better. I'm the author of the baseball guys. Video. <laughs> I've this. So that, that's, oh, that's, a good, that's a good one. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the one, you know, unspoken rules in the dugout, especially, you know, you don't talk about it. You know, the even there's even some broadcasters these days. Well, they'll they'll kind of hold off on mentioning what's going on during the middle of a no-hitter. There's some broadcasters, though, that'll kind of tell you. But, um, yeah, that's, right. that's funny. And, and going back to the Tyler Skaggs moment, you know, I'm a lifelong Angels fan. And, um, yeah, watching that was definitely, you know, I've never really kind of thought about synchronicity in, in baseball before, but the numbers just lined up so perfectly. So many of the numbers in that game kind of came together um, so bizarrely that uh, it really did kind of uh, kind of make you think. Um, you know, going back to synchronicity, um, you know, it's it, it's definitely one of the things that one of the big themes uh, throughout your works. Um, is there kind of any other examples of synchronicity you can think of uh, within the game, just like an example or two outside of yeah, the Skaggs example? Definitely. Yeah. What I'll do is, uh, well, I, I, I consider the Skaggs a, a baseball god moment, which is slightly different than 
uh, synchronicity. A baseball god moment is more like a wink from the universe where it's sort of this serendipitous right. moment that you realize, all right, that's very special. Now, a synchronicity is technically different. A synchronicity is when there are two separate events that should have nothing to do with each other. But based on what you know and your life you're living, you know there's no doubt that they're interrelated and connected. And that kind of epiphany is, is a really exciting thing when it happens. And by the way, it's a, it's a sign from the universe that you're on the right track. You know, I notice personally when I'm really into my yoga and my meditation, I'm eating healthy and I'm exercising every day, these synchronicities happen more often. And then if I ever slack off, I go a day or two without, without I don't fulfill my routine, the days are just not as magical. So there, there definitely is something to it. But as far as synchronicity, I'll give you a couple of quick stories. You know, one from the first book and then one from the second book. So in the first book, I mentioned how um, baseball gods totally coordinated this. As fate would have it, we, we bought a house here in Leewood, Kansas, you know, on the same street as Dayton Moore, the general manager of the Royals. And then a couple of years later, Ian Kennedy, after he signed with the Royals, bought right. a house that, down our street. Now, he, he has had uh, a, a much bigger family since then, so Ian's had since moved away. But after we met Ian Kennedy, my son was obsessed with Ian and, and meeting him, and we would, he would play MLB The Show and constantly play with Ian the whole thing. <laughs> okay. And he was, he was desperate to get an Ian Kennedy baseball card. Now, by the way, the Ian Kennedy baseball card hadn't even been created yet. It won't, wouldn't come out to the next year, but we didn't know that. Right. So, so he's been trying to open up packs and get the Ian Kennedy card. So then one day when we see him in the street, he can sign it. Well, that never happened. And then we, we finally did meet him. And it was, you know, he taught Nate how to throw a Vulcan change up. And it really was a, a you know, actually it was a, a week later that Nate said to me, you know, uh, well, walking away, he said, Dad, I want to become a pitcher. And then a week later, I met John Perrin, the pitcher for the first time, who eventually joined my company. But basically, right. my, we, we, um, this, 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 uh, synchronicity comes to fruition when basically a week with a, with a week to go in the season, the Cleveland Indians were in town and we loved Mike Napoli. We had a baseball guy moment with him years, years earlier. And so when he came up to bat, we cheered for him and we were in the front row and we literally said, hit a home run, hit a home run. Even though we were rooting for the Royals, we just loved Mike Napoli so much. And sure enough, right. he, he did. And then when he, came, <laughs> when, he, and when, he, when he trotted around, he kind of gave us a wink. And then when the game was over, he literally came out of the dugout to, to thank us and say hello to us. And he signed a ball for Nate. And then miraculously, Rajah Davis came over and then signed that same ball. And it was the oh, first wow. time. It was the first time that two different players signed that same ball. And so, sure enough, we talked about how you know what a synchronicity it was, or how, how miraculous it was, whatever. Right. Later, later that night, or later that week, rather, we do this Ian Kennedy experiment. Where we go buy four packs of of baseball cards and we meditate and we pray. And we say, "Baseball guys, prove to us you're real." Let there be an Ian Kennedy card in one of these packs. Of course, now <laughs> you and I know at the time it didn't exist. So how are the baseball guys going to pull up that kind of miracle? Right. Well, anyway, so we went through the three packs and there was no, there was no Ian Kennedy card. And I said, listen, Nate, let's stay optimistic and hopeful. Let's manifest. Maybe there'll be two Ian Kennedy cards in the fourth pack. And then sure enough, there was not an Ian Kennedy card, but <laughs> the two cards that were in there were Mike Napoli and Rajah Davis. Oh, wow. And okay. my son and I were like, all right, the baseball cards are definitely <laughs> real. So that wow. would be the first one. And then in volume two, a very fun, fun experience was when uh, I visited John Perrin when he was pitching for the Brewers in, uh, in 2018. And he got invited to Major League Spring Training. He spent six weeks the, with, the, with the big leaguers. And one afternoon, I was out visiting, visiting with him for, and we were having dinner. And he told me how he had spent an hour after a practice talking to Ryan Braun about investing. You know, Ryan Braun, of course, right. former Rookie of the Year, MVP. He happens to be an avid investor. So when John was telling me about his you know, hour-long talk with Ryan Braun, I thought, you know, my God, this is, how surreal is this, Perrin? You know, we met a few years ago, and here you are now talking stocks with, with Ryan Braun, you know? <laughs> and then, and then this, this was early in the year. Well, come full circle, I went on a bunch of music out adventure, you know, music and baseball got adventures that year, and that culminated with being at um, uh, the, uh, the NLCS in Los Angeles when the Brewers played the Dodgers. And right. it, was during, it was during batting practice, and this story is in, in volume two, and I wanted to kind of ball hawk and try to get a ball for my son, Nate, and, sh and sure enough, uh, a ball comes towering to me, and I make the catch. The first time I ever caught a ball, you know, straight right from the sky instead of off of a bounce. And I yell out, hey, who, who hit that ball? And, uh, and then some kid yelled out, it's Ryan Braun hit it. 
I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so the idea that I caught a ball is one wink from the universe. The fact that I caught Ryan Braun's ball, right. who happened to be John Perrin's friend from spring training, was the synchronicity. But it gets even better because that game went to the 13th inning. And during uh-huh. the 13th inning, my mother-in-law calls me and says, hey, Jonathan, any chance we're related to Ryan Braun? Now, from, from my book, you may not know this, but... My wife's family, who survived the Holocaust, my, my, my wife's grandmother, Maria, her maiden name is Braun. Oh, wow. And, okay. And then and I researched it, and it turned out Brian, Ryan Braun's family, most of them were murdered during the Holocaust. Oh, and my God. And so it connected, and then it gave it even, even crazier because uh, I, I learned about a week later from my research that Sandy Koufax, the greatest Jewish pitcher of all time, uh, his mother, her maiden name was also Braun. And wow. so here you hear from my book, I have this thesis that my son, you know, I can't prove it yet, but he may somehow be the reincarnation of, you know, Hank Greenberg. But that's really a, a crazy <laughs> idea that I'm trying to connect. But yet it's even sure. crazier to think that hey, he actually, my, my wife's family tree might actually be related to wow. the Colfax and the Bronx. So my son really might be something special. Yeah, you know, you, it's, <laughs> it's in the genes, apparently. It, wow. it, it, it might be. So, yeah, so that would be that would be a fun one. And then and then I'll just say real quick, uh, you know. When we were at spring training visiting John Perrin and my son was going to see him pitch for the first time, the, the night before we went to a Royals game and, and famous uh, uh, reliever Raleigh Fingers was signing autographs. And my son right. knows about Raleigh Fingers because of the, because of MLB, the show, the video game. They have all the, all the legends in there. And yep. so we, we took a picture in front of Raleigh Fingers. And of course, the next day, what field is John Perrin pitching on at the Brewers facility? It was Raleigh Fingers field. And my son oh. was like, dad, baseball gods. And, and, then, and, then, and then, of course, later that day, we were going to go drive home. We realized it's time to go to the catch the next afternoon Royals game. And we got there. And who was pitching? Ian Kennedy. And we had no oh, idea. I mean, at the time, we only, we only knew two professional ball players, And it was John Perrin and Ian Kennedy. And they're both pitching on the same day. We just thought yeah. that was quite a coincidence. Let's just say that. No, totally. Totally. No, that's, that's, that's really unbelievable. Um, so uh, moving along, kind of how... How has your experience uh, as a baseball fan changed uh, from before kind of your your spiritual kind of reinvention transformation uh, to now? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I enjoy baseball a lot more. Um, I appreciate the game more. Um, I have to say that because I've become friends with ball players through this adventure, guys like John Perrin and Ian Kennedy or Tim Dillard or people that we've met who've signed autographs for us. We just recently, I just recently, um, we saw, we met, met briefly met Alex Bregman and we gave him my book and he signed some stuff for my son and we had a chat oh, nice. about bar mitzvahs and, you know, how does Alex Bregman not become your, your new better player, you know? <laughs> right, um, right. So, um, so yeah, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay. So just to close out, then I got some kind of rapid fire questions for you. Um, so give me your uh, your favorite baseball player of all time. Oh, Hank Rambert. Got to be, of course. Detroit Tigers, 1930s. Right. Favorite vegan restaurant. You know, it's, that's a great one. You know, Kansas City is known for barbecue, actually. And, and right, there's not a lot right. of vegan restaurants out here. So <laughs> what, I, what I have learned to do is find vegetarian and vegan dishes at non-traditional vegan places. So right now, my go-to place is Panera Bread. I get the, uh, the soup and salad, and I love it. Okay. Okay, cool. What is your favorite ballpark? Well, I mean, look, how do I not say Kauffman Stadium? Because it, it is my favorite park. It's where I, I spent more time than any of the ballpark. But, but that won't be a fun answer. I'll say Dodger Stadium because through my baseball guide adventures, I've been there three different times. And each time I've had a, 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 you know, a lot of synchronicity and weeks from the universe. So I, I'll go with Dodger Stadium. Okay. Okay. So uh, what would be the greatest team you've ever seen kind of from a year to year kind of basis, whether it's, you know, the 98 Yankees, for example, a lot of people believe they're kind of the greatest team, um, you know, ever assembled. So what would be your kind of greatest uh, team? 
Well, if you want a baseball answer, I'm going to I'm going to be a homer and say the 2014-15 Royals. However, the true answer is not a baseball team. The greatest team that I have ever seen in my own eyes was as a kid on Long Island in the 1980s when the New York Islanders won four Stanley Cups in a row, which is uh, really okay. really hard to do. So, I'm going to go with Mike Bossy and uh, you know, and Brian Trache and Dennis Potvin and the New York Islanders. Right, right. Yeah, it's been a while for the Islanders too. In terms yeah, it's of, been too, uh, it's success, been too right? it's been too long, and they've lost their home <laughs> a couple of times. But uh, you know what? Everything's in cycles. One day they'll return. You'll see. Yeah, yeah. All right. So last one. Uh, favorite current uh, baseball player? John Perrin. I mean, John John Perrin, who works for my company. He's still right. pitching. He's had a, quite a journey in the last couple of years. He was with the Brewers, traded to the Royals. Then he was released. Then he played independent ball for the Kansas City T-Bones. Then he was in Mexico. Then back with the T-Bones. And right now he's actually pitching in the playoffs in the 2019 Dominican Winter League. And we're oh, hoping nice. that if he continues to pitch well, uh, he will get an invite to spring training and, and continue on. So, yeah, my answer would be uh, John Perrin. But if I had to choose an MLB player because of our recent experiences, I'll, I'll go with Alex Bregman. Right, right. So how, how far up kind of the minor league ranks uh, has Perrin gotten? Has he made AAA? Has he, yes, has yeah. He... Yeah. He's, yeah, when I first met him, he had just come up from, from single A to double A with okay. the Luxie Shuckers. And then... Uh, lat, you know, two years ago, he had made it up to AAA with the Colorado Springs uh, uh, Sky Sox. And, uh, gotcha. and he re- actually p- pitched really great there. But that was the year where um, the Brewers were making a playoff run and they had a bunch of guys coming off the DL. And, right. you know, if they were rebuilding, he probably would have been in the show. But that was the year that they, uh, you know, they, they went deep into the playoffs. That was the year when Brandon Woodruff and, um, you know, and, uh, and Josh Hader really, you know, really emerged. Yep, yep, yep. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much, man. So where can uh, people get all of this information uh, about you online? Uh, you yeah, know, I, but, I assume all your books are on Barnes, uh, are on Amazon, et cetera. Yeah, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, they're everywhere. And uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at, at, on Twitter at Scooter Fink. I'm also on Instagram. So uh, I'm around. You can find me. Hey, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the interview today. This was terrific. And uh, as I like to always say, may the baseball guys be with you. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. You, you take care, my friend. Be well. Thanks so Bye-bye. much. So that'll wrap things up for episode eight of Big League Chewing, a baseball podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, you can find me on Twitter at ChewingCast or on Instagram at Big League Chewing. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you guys soon.